I imagine some of the people really thought that the miracle that would be worked by Christ would be His coming down off the cross. But we know that that miracle did not transpire. We have, of course, six miracles associated with the death of Jesus, none of which really, I guess, Jesus Himself worked, but were all worked by the Father. Christ said at His last breath that it is finished. The work that He had been asked to do was over. It was at that moment that the veil of the temple was rent. It was at that moment again now when He uttered His last word that we see again the unseen hands of God from above work a yet third miracle. And this one was well known by the people around the cross. Strange indeed would be the meaning of this miracle. And few would be those who understood what it meant. Now, it's found in the book of Matthew, the 27th chapter, verses 50 and 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. That is, he died. Now, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Continuing that same verse now, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. I just simply call it the split rock. And of all the miracles that was witnessed that day, probably this one was questioned more than any other as to what it meant. For the people were confused as to why there would be an earthquake at the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, there's nothing strange about an earthquake. These were common in the land of Palestine. But why have an earthquake at the moment Jesus said it is finished? Earthquakes had taken place before, been going on for thousands of years. But this earthquake, I believe, was associated by the people with a great miracle. They didn't know what it meant. But they looked upon it not as an act of nature, but as an act of God Himself as a miracle. For I say this because the Scriptures list this miracle right in between other miracles. That is, the veil was torn in half. That was a miracle. And as we read on, we find that the graves were opened by this quake, and certain people got out of their graves. This earthquake picked and chose certain tombs to open up. Now, that's a strange earthquake, isn't it? And left untouched certain others. And it took place at the very moment Jesus said, It is finished. And the people themselves around the cross associated the quake with Christ's death. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watched Jesus and saw the earthquake, then they feared greatly, saying, Truly, now as a result of the earthquake, the centurion said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. He felt the earthquake definitely was associated with Christ's crucifixion. And in the fourth place, it was a very strange earthquake. To our knowledge, no one got hurt. 
no one was lost. It seemingly was restricted to the little area right around the cross. It didn't disturb the other two thieves on their crosses. It didn't disturb the crosses in the ground. The crosses did not fall down. I mean, the earthquake really did not seemingly disturb anything but a few graves. That's found in Matthew 27:52. It had to be the direct act of God Himself. Now, as any miracle was performed by God, this one too had to be performed for a purpose. It was done to point up some great and vital truth. This was true of the three hours of darkness when the sun went out. This was true of the veil of the temple being torn in half. So there had to be a purpose for this earthquake. There was a message to the darkness. There was a message to the torn curtain. But what was the message that God was trying to get across to the people and to us with this earthquake? For you see, it's difficult for us to see any connection between the cross of Christ and the earthquake that took place the moment that he died. What was God trying to say? Was it that the death of Christ would stop all future earthquakes? Well, we know that wouldn't be true. Was it that the earthquake would be God's way of opening all the graves of the saints and resurrecting them? Well, we know that's not true. Would it be that God was going to bring earthquakes upon all those who were guilty of sin? Well, we know that hasn't happened. So what was the purpose of the earthquake? I myself was puzzled a long time about this until I just started looking up earthquakes in the Bible. That's a good way to find out some information. Just cross-reference and look in the commentary for everything pertaining to that subject. And I found that once at another time, similar to this, there was an earthquake. And the more I studied the circumstances, the more I began to realize there was a parallel. And God did have a message that He wanted to tell everyone. Now, look, if you will, in the book of Exodus and the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 6. This is a lengthy passage, and bear with me while I read rapidly. When the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt and were in the wilderness of Sinai, there they pitched themselves, that is, their tents, and camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him up out of the mountain, saying, Say this to Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, and if you will, and especially note this next thing, and if you will keep my covenant, contract, agreement, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the whole earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now these are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. Verse 16 through 20. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning. Now notice that there was thundering and lightning and a thick cloud and the voice of a trumpet sounding loud. And all the people that were in the camp, trembled. 
And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And there they stood at the lower part of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke. That is, there was smoke around the mountain. Because the Lord had descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof was seen as the smoke of a furnace. Now notice this portion of the verse. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. There was an earthquake. And Moses spoke to the people. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now notice the parallel that there was a earthquake when God came down the first time to meet with man to make a covenant. And the people standing around the mountain knew that God was present because God caused the earth to shake. I think the people around the cross should have realized God Almighty was present because He made the earth to shake. Recall also that God, during the earthquake, associated that with His making of a covenant with the people He was going to call out to be His own. The covenant was offered in the presence of the power of God. How was that presence made known? By the shaking of the earth. God made man an offer at Mount Sinai, and to prove that God was making the offer, he shook the ground. God is making an offer at Mount Calvary, and to prove God is making the offer, he shook the ground. And the offer is made through what Christ just did upon the cross. Of course, you know that while upon the mountain God delivered to Moses, the duties of the covenant. Those were the Ten Commandments. God told the people what He expected of them as their portion of the covenant. I'll get to that in a few minutes when we come further on down in our lesson this morning. Jesus, I mean, God said, though, if you will obey My voice, and if you will do what I say, if you keep my covenant, if you keep the agreement, then I will be your God and treat you as a special treasure. And that's what he says in Jeremiah 7.23, that it may be well with you, obey my voice. Now, obedience to the covenant was God's condition for God's blessing. But you and I know that God did not find Israel willing or able to keep the covenant. That is, they broke the covenant, and thereby one day God said, I must therefore offer man a second covenant. A second covenant. And that's what you have announced at Mount Calvary. That's what the earthquake really associates itself with. Immediately following the death of Christ, God announces the forthcoming of a second and better covenant to mankind. It also announced that God was through working with the people under a first covenant, and now God was going to work with the whole wide world 
on the basis of a second and new covenant. And to announce the second covenant, he did the same thing he did to announce the first covenant. He shook the earth. It was through the prophet Jeremiah that God announced this new covenant. It's found in the book of Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, beginning at verse 31, going through verse 34. Behold, the day shall come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant that I made with those in the land of Egypt as I brought them out. But this shall be the new covenant that I will make. After those days, saith the Lord, and I believe those days referred to the days of the crucifixion of Jesus, or after that day, I will put my law in their inward parts. This is something God is going to do different now in the second covenant that he did not do in the first covenant. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write in their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now that in a nutshell, is the announcement that God made of a forthcoming second covenant. The first covenant was announced to the man Moses. The second covenant was really announced to the man Jesus Christ. And again, may I say that God came down during both announcements. He came down at Mount Sinai. He came down at Mount Calvary. And I might add, the benefits of the second covenant went into effect on the day of Pentecost. I might also say this, that preceding each of the covenants, there was the sacrifice of the Lamb and the shedding of blood. Of course, in the case of the first covenant, it was an animal's blood that was shed. In the case of the second covenant, it was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed. When Jesus at the Lord's Supper said of his blood, regarding it as being a testament, this is my blood in the New Testament, that's the word covenant, Christ identified his blood being shed as that which would establish the second covenant. And it was an earthquake that we identify with both of these events. It introduced the first covenant, or was associated with, and it was associated with the second covenant. In Exodus 19:16, the people of Israel trembled when the earth shook at the first covenant. And according to Luke 23:48, the people trembled around the time of the second covenant. You have the same kind of events taking place. There was a vast difference between the first and the second covenants. The first covenant was just based simply on the contract or the agreement that Israel would obey God and thereby gain his blessing. It gave man the opportunity to prove his ability at keeping the law. But man 
found he did not have the ability to keep the law. Now, the second covenant makes up for that weakness that was left in the first covenant. That is, it does not just ask man to obey God's laws, but it says that God himself will do what is necessary to make that obedience possible. You notice what God said in Jeremiah? I will, I will, I will, I will. Not man will, but I will. I will put my laws in their heart. Next to this, he says, I will give them a new heart in the 36th chapter. I will put my spirit within them. I will cause them to walk in my statutes. The second covenant offers unto us the enabling power of the ever-living who? Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, living with us, enabling us to keep the commandments that God says are still valid. On the cross, you see, Christ then bestows two gifts. First, he bestows the gift of redemption, forgiveness, pardon, cleansing. But he also bestows unto us the gift of power. That's something that they did not have in the first covenant. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, wait until Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you? There is the great promise that enables us to have victory over sin and enables us to keep the commandments of God. It's the power of God living within us. You might say it's an earth-shaking power that's going to live in us. The God that shook the earth and that power that could do that with the rocks will now come to abide in the Christian and that power that shakes the earth shall be able to shake his life and shape his life to suit the will of God. Not only does sin no longer have claim upon those redeemed by the blood of Christ, but sin no longer has power over those who proclaim the blood of Christ. Now, you see, when a Christian says, I can't, he's not being true to the second covenant. The Christian might say, I can't, but he ought to go ahead and say, but the God who shakes the earth can. And that God who can lives within me, and therefore he enables me by his power and through his influence that I too might shake loose from the power of sin, break the rocks of bondage, and therefore being able to obey the Lord when he asks us to. You see, the second covenant does not ask anything of us that the first covenant did not ask of the Hebrews. Think about this now. Both covenants, the first and the second, ask the exact same thing from the people. If you will obey my voice, God has not changed that side of the covenant, that condition of the covenant. I might also say that God does not ask anything more of us, nor does he eliminate anything from the covenant. 
He does not say, well, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. We are still required, the same as the original group of people at Mount Sinai, to be obedient. God has not removed the commands. It's still, be ye holy, for I am holy. The second covenant only asks something new of God, nothing new of us. God obligated himself through the death of Christ, the Father did now, obligated himself, took upon himself a promise to us that he would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is, he would change our heart, and that's where your new birth comes in. He would enter into our life and live with us, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And that through his power, he would enable us to keep the laws that he says are right and beneficial and good. And that's where sanctification comes in. The new covenant puts the obligations on God to ensure that we are able to carry out our part of the original covenant. And so when the earth did shake that day, God was relieving himself of the first covenant and announcing to the Jews and all mankind, you cannot be obedient enough to please me. But I am going to offer unto you a much better covenant. Your obligation remains the same, but I will obligate myself to enter in on your behalf, working with you and through you and in you, an earth-shaking miracle, and thereby enable you to be obedient and to walk in my holy presence a holy walk. And a closing thought now, it is not enough for a gardener to love flowers. He must also hate weeds. <laughs>